It's TechBiter Worldwide. I'm Bill Blinn with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the sports, most of the jingles, the weather, and the commercials. Podcast number 203 for August 1st, 2010, recorded July 30th. I was going to call this first section film for your digital camera, but I decided that Alien Skins Exposure 3, more fun than is legal, was more accurate. As much as I like digital photography and all of its advantages, some days I do miss the look of film. I remember buying Fuji film when I needed to accentuate greens. I remember Kodak's Veracolor 100 that produced superb portraits, great flesh tone. Kodachrome, particularly the 25-speed stuff, gave bright, highly saturated colors. When Kodachrome 2 came along, Paul Simon even sang about it. It's possible to replicate the look and feel of those films with digital photography, though. You can do it if you want to spend hours or maybe even days tweaking some of Photoshop's settings. Or you could use Alien Skin's Exposure 3. On the TechBiter Worldwide website, you'll see a picture of a couple of cats. One named Phoebe, the other Chloe. Chloe's a small cat. Tiny might be a better description. Because of her size, she earned the name Tynamus, which actually should be Tynama, since she's a she, after all. From that, she became Tiny Moose, or sometimes just Moose. So we have a tiny cat that we call Moose. Well, let's see what we can do with a photo that includes Phoebe and Moose. Exposure 3 works with Adobe Photoshop CS3 through CS5, with Adobe Lightroom 2 or 3, with Adobe Photoshop Elements 7 or 8, and with Corel Paint Shop Pro Photo X3 or X4. It is available in 32 and 64-bit versions. Technically, the most significant new features include 64-bit support for Photoshop CS5, both on Mac and Windows, because digital manipulation needs all the power it can get. This is really important. Another very important feature, integration with Lightroom in a way that does not require Photoshop. That's important because not every photographer can afford or wants all of the big power tools. And a third big advantage, lots of new starter settings in all categories, with the ability to modify them in nearly infinite ways. Also, you'll notice faster previews, even in the 32-bit version. Exposure 3 is all about reality and fantasy. If you're looking for the realistic appearance of 1968's Kodachrome 2 or 1910's Autochrome, Exposure 3 delivers. If you're seeking an appearance that no film has ever offered, Exposure 3 delivers. In the samples on the TechBiter Worldwide website, you'll see how I selected Kodak Ultra Color 100UC as my film type, then modified the color a bit to enhance the green slightly, adjusted the tone curves a bit to make the image a bit lighter, and then added some aging that includes scratches and dust spots. And it was there I found one small inconsistency that I can quibble about. You'll see that if you watch the TechBiter video that is on this week's website. One of the effect types ages the image by adding dust and scratches. For slide films, the effect seems to me to be reversed. Here's why. On a negative film, a scratch will create a 
dark area when a print is made. Dust will create a light area. A scratch goes through the emulsion and allows light to pass through, while a dust speck blocks light. On positive film, also known as slides, a scratch creates a clear area on the film and is white when the image is projected or printed. Dust blocks the light and appears as a dark spot when the image is printed or projected. Alien Skin's dust specks on chrome films, the positive films, the slide films, are light when they should be dark. Okay, big deal. Not a lot of people are going to use that particular technique very often. In all, Exposure 3 has more than 500 presets to create effects that you could create in Photoshop, but only with a great deal of work. And as always, Alien Skin makes the modifications non-destructive by applying them to a new layer by default. You can always get back to your original image. Exposure 3 is a $250 product, but owners of earlier versions may upgrade for $100. If you purchased Exposure 2 in or after April of this year, you should already have the upgrade in hand for free. My final image looks like something from the early 70s, maybe a Kodachrome 25 slide printed on the extremely contrasty paper used in those days for Type R prints. Type R signified positive to positive, in other words, a color slide to a positive print. The TechBiter video shows some of the many controls available on Exposure 3's menus. If the default settings are exactly what you want, great, you can stop right there. But if you want a slightly different look, it's easy. The video shows how. With more than 500 basic options, Exposure 3 doesn't lend itself to a complete test drive on the podcast or even on the website. So let's take a look at 11 options that I selected more or less at random. You'll see these on the TechBiter Worldwide website. The first I selected is called Bleach Bypass. This is a process that reduces or eliminates the bleaching function during the processing of a color film or paper. Bleach removes silver, so skipping the bleach step retains the silver along with the color dyes. The result is a black and white image superimposed on the color image. The next example, a copper print, a brown tone, beautiful print. Copper, selenium, and other metals have been used in photography. This one is an example of a copper print with an added light vignette at the edges. Louis de Guerre's process used asphaltum on a copper plate sensitized with lavender oil. Long exposures were required, and the image in a daguerreotype was formed by combining mercury and silver. This is a very hazardous process, needless to say, that used mercury vapor to develop the copper plate that was coated with a thin layer of silver. Exposure 3 makes the process both safe and easy. Kodachrome, as I mentioned, this is the one Paul Simon sang about. They give us those nice, bright colors. They give us the greens of summers. Makes you think all the world's a sunny day. Kodachrome, the way it looked in the late 1960s and early 70s, brings back some very fond memories. It was a great film. The competition for Kodachrome was Ektachrome. It was easier to process than Kodachrome, and anybody could do it. Only Kodak-owned labs were allowed to process Kodachrome, but it tended to have kind of a bluish cast, as you'll see. Next, I took a look at a couple of the Portra films. 
Kodak Portra 400. This was one of Kodak's portrait films. Although a 100 speed was generally used in studios, this was the 400 speed variety. You might find it at weddings. And then the Portra 400 VC. VC stands for vivid color, so it's generally not used for portrait work. The Portra family of daylight-balanced professional color negative films is still available in three speeds, 160, 400, and 800 ISO. But you can create it on your computer, too. Remember Polaroid? Being able to see your picture in just a minute or two was really a radical thought in those days, even if the color really wasn't the greatest. Later Polaroid films, the one I show you is Type 600, improved color, but Polaroid was still digital photography's first victim. If you're old enough to remember developing your own black and white film, you probably remember Rodinol. There's a black and white image on the website that highlights a developer, not a particular film or paper. Rodinol was patented in 1891 and was the first product sold by AGFA. Rodinol is still available today, sometimes under other names because the patent expired. Rodinol was popular with amateur photographers because it was supplied in liquid form could be mixed in single batches, and it was used just once. little grainy, though. Another image that reflects a process instead of a film or a paper is called high saturation. Color slide film could be exposed and developed in a way that created a very high contrast image with extremely saturated colors. And my final choice was Technicolor. Although used for movies, Technicolor is one of the options available from Exposure 3, which includes filters for Technicolor Process 2 and Technicolor Process 4. And by the way, the Technicolor Process dates all the way back to 1914, so it's almost 100 years old. The bottom line on Alien Skin's Exposure 3, five cats. Exposure 3 takes the digital out of digital photography. Takes the digital out of digital photography isn't my line, by the way. It's Alien Skin's tagline, but it's quite appropriate. If you at least occasionally miss the look of film, Exposure 3 makes recovering that analog appearance possible without the cost of film, without the time required to process film, and without the nasty chemicals. Along the way, you may find that you're having more fun than is permitted in at least 27 states. For more information, you can visit the Alien Skin website. You'll find a link to it, guess where? On the TechBiter Worldwide website. But you knew that, didn't you? If you're like me, you probably find your email inbox stuffed with offers of degrees based on your experience. You can buy a high-priced, worthless piece of paper. Some even come with phony transcripts, but they're still worthless. At the other end of the spectrum, many legitimate colleges and universities now offer distance learning programs. But now there's a third kind of player, one that offers low-cost education but no degrees. So instead of getting the diploma without any education, you get the education without a diploma. The University of the People is located in Pasadena, California. The nonprofit school has no campus and charges no tuition. The goal of the founder, Israeli entrepreneur Shari Rashef, is to bring higher education to what he calls disenfranchised communities around the world. Today, the course offerings are minimal, just a couple of tracks, business administration and computer science. But these are two subject areas that lend themselves to distance learning and also will be useful in developing countries. It also offers a general studies track with classes in business English, calculus, history, and introductory classes in philosophy, sociology, and psychology. 
University of the People cannot confer degrees in these areas because it is not accredited by any organization. Rashev says that he hopes to obtain accreditation, but that he cannot predict when or whether accreditation might be granted. It is likely that traditional institutions will oppose accreditation, and this could leave the organization's students without a true diploma, just the knowledge. If you've ever watched The Wizard of Oz, you might think that's really not too bad. But that paper does have some importance. Although the tuition is free, the school does charge an application fee, 15 to $50, and an assessment fee that ranges from $10 to $100. Fees are based on the economic situation of each student. Rashif founded the University of the People in January 2009, and to fund its programs and provide services to students, the school accepts both donations of money and time. The next classes begin in August, and the school currently has some 500 students from Nigeria, Jamaica, Canada, Indonesia, Zambia, Brazil, Spain, and Pakistan, among others. For more information, you can visit the University of the People website. You'll find a link to it from the TechBiter Worldwide website. Apologies to Ford, but have you driven a Chrome lately? I'm now going to quote a coworker. When I open an XML file in Chrome, nothing happens. Well, he uses a Mac, so I decided to see what would happen on my Windows PC if I opened an XML file in Chrome. Same thing. Nothing. So I looked to see if there was a setting to control XML display. There isn't, but I found an extension that enables XML display. Extensions? thought that was Firefox's strength. Well, this changes the equation fundamentally. Chrome is faster than Firefox. If a site causes Chrome to crash, the crash doesn't take the whole browser with it, as is the case with Firefox. If Chrome now has a good collection of extensions, it might begin to eat into Firefox's market share. I think I've shown you my Firefox extension list before, and it's, again, on this week's TechBiter Worldwide website. A lot of stuff there. So I listed out all of my add-ons, and then I compared that list of Firefox extensions with what's available for Chrome. I scored one for Chrome if the extension or an equivalent was available, minus one if the extension was unavailable, and zero if the extension is unavailable, but one I don't use or that I consider frivolous. So here's what I found. Adblock Plus, available, score one. I consider this one essential. I'm not opposed to ads on the web, but when a site serves me an ad that sings, dances, or bounces around while I'm trying to read text, I block it. Adobe Contribute Toolbar. Well, this is not available, but I don't use it in Firefox, so the score is zero. This works in conjunction with Adobe Dreamweaver. It's installed when Dreamweaver is installed. As I said, it's not one I use. Babblefish. Not really available for Chrome, but there is Google Translate that is, so I'll score that as a one. Instant translations are helpful, and it's a feature that I added this year to the TechBiter Worldwide website. The Chrome plugin works directly with Google's translation service. Better Gmail. There's an unofficial version available for Chrome. It's in use by 50,000 people, and based on 419 reviews, it has about a 4.5 rating on a 5-point scale. Okay, that looks pretty good. So, score of 1. The extension allows the user to change how Gmail works. If you never use the chat function, for example, you can simply turn it off. Chroma tabs. 
unavailable, but I consider this a cosmetic-only feature, so the score is zero. Chroma tabs allows me to change the color of tabs. Not exactly essential. Copy plain text. Not available in Chrome, but there is copy without formatting. That's the equivalent, score one. Document Object Model Inspector. No such extension is available by name, but it's not needed. This feature is built into Chrome. Score 1. Firebug. Not available for Chrome. Firebug Lite is available. The developer says this. Firebug Lite is not a substitute for Firebug or Chrome developer tools. It is a tool to be used in conjunction with these tools. Okay, so I downloaded Firebug Lite. I also installed the Chrome Web Developer Tools. Score, 1. Ghostery. It's available. Score of 1. I don't consider this one essential, but it is helpful. It'll let you know what tracking devices are installed on any given website. On the TechBiter site, for example, you'll see that StatCounter and ShareThis are in use. StatCounter reports the number of visitors to the site each week, and ShareThis allows visitors to post information about a given program to one or more social networking sites. Gmail Space, not available, but I never use it because it's slow and cumbersome, so this gets a score of zero. This add-in allows the user to treat a Gmail mailbox as a disk drive. Seems like an interesting idea, but it just really doesn't work very well. HTML Validator. Absolutely essential. This is an extension that gives me a quick look at the HTML code and checks it for errors. It is available. Score 1. Java Console. Unavailable. The Java Console extension is no longer supported as of JRE 1.6.0.10, so it needs to be removed from Firefox, too. It's not needed in Chrome because Java is supported once the Java application is installed. Score 1. LeetKey is unavailable, so I have to score this as a minus one. It's primarily a trivial extension, but it does have the ability to encode and decode ROT13 text, which a few people do still use occasionally. Logitech Device Detection, unavailable but also unnecessary. The score is zero. Logitech installed this to identify installed Logitech devices. Now that I've used it, it's no longer necessary. Microsoft Net Framework, available but unnecessary. The score is zero. Minimap add-on. This is kind of a cool feature in Firefox. The analog for Chrome is Google Maps Minimap. This extension can pop up a quick map to show a location when you're on a website. Nightly tester tools. Unavailable on Chrome, but also unnecessary. Score zero. The nightly tester tool is essential with Firefox because it allows the user to enable extensions that stop working when Firefox upgrades the browser. Not needed with Chrome. Norton IPS and the Norton Toolbar, unavailable, but I'm going to score this as a zero, and here's why. These are security tools, but often tools like these provide more of a sense of security than any real security, sort of like the TSA at our nation's airports. Web of Trust, which I'll talk about in a moment, is an adequate replacement, so I'm scoring this as zero. Override Mozilla Firefox Guidance. It's unavailable in Chrome, but I installed it only for comic effect on Mozilla, so this gets a score of zero. When a page fails to load, the browser will display a standard message. This extension overrides those standard messages with silly and sometimes profane messages that are every bit as helpful as the standard messages. Sage. This is an RSS aggregator, but I don't use it. I have other tools for viewing RSS feeds. Equivalent programs are available for Chrome, but I didn't install any because I don't use Sage. So I'll score this one one. 
Search Preview. On Firefox, this is an extension that allows a Google search to return thumbnails of images of the websites that a search located. I found this to be uncommonly helpful in selecting a site from the list. I would consider it almost essential. There is Search Preview for Google available for Chrome, so score one. Stumble Upon, available, score one. Stumble Upon is fun, it's entertaining, it might be educational sometimes. It's definitely a huge time sink. I enjoy using it from time to time, so I'm glad it's available for Chrome. User Agent Switcher. The User Agent Switcher for Chrome is available, score of one. Some site designers still design their websites to work with Internet Explorer only. When you encounter one of these misguided folks' sites, it's possible to have Firefox or Chrome pretend to be Internet Explorer. The site will usually work. Web Developer, as I mentioned earlier, is available. It's a useful website development tool that works well in conjunction with Adobe Dreamweaver. World IP, bummer, unavailable, score minus one. Every website has an IP address. The IP address identifies, among other things, the country where the site is located. I find this to be very useful. I hope that there will be an add-on like this made available sometime for Chrome. Right now, it's not available. And Web of Trust. I mentioned this one earlier. It's available. Gets a score of one. What kind of reputation does a site have? This is a service that uses social networking to classify sites on four key criteria. So the bottom line here is the best possible score Chrome could have gotten was 27. Based on my scoring method, the actual score was 14. Wow, that seems pretty low. Chrome's score actually is lower than it should be with this scale. If I omit the unnecessary Firefox extensions from the possible high score, the maximum high score would be in the range of 19 to 20. So that makes it 14 out of 19 to 20. That's pretty respectable. In short, the only Firefox add-in that I will really miss is World IP because it's helpful to know where a website is. I have provided on the website my list of Chrome extensions. It doesn't contain everything that my Firefox list contains, but all of the essential tools are there. If this doesn't worry the Firefox development team a bit, it should. And Microsoft is now facing a challenge from two competent browsers, each of which has fewer security problems than IE does. In short circuits, the Mariposa botnet has infected millions of computers worldwide and has been used to steal credit card data. But now the creator of the botnet is said to be behind bars. U.S., Spanish, and Slovenian law enforcement agencies worked together to corner a 23-year-old Slovenian, so far identified only as Isserdo, and jail him. Three other accused conspirators were arrested in Spain in February. Mariposa's goal was to steal credit card data, online banking passwords, account information for social networking sites, and other data that the operators could use. But it didn't stop there. Mariposa also spread viruses and launched denial-of-service attacks. According to the FBI, Mariposa infected 8 to 12 million computers worldwide, and Spanish police say the botnet is on computers in more than half of the largest U.S. firms on the Fortune 1000 list. Is that a scary thought? The botnet has been out of operation since December 2009, the result of a joint operation involving the Spanish police, the FBI, and two private information security firms. The botnet is suspected in denial-of-service attacks in 2007 against Estonia and Georgia. The attacks coincided with diplomatic tensions between Estonia and Russia and between Georgia and Russia. 
I like the idea of the Kindle, but I don't own one. At least, not yet. Amazon is making a big deal out of its recent price drop. The Kindle is just $139 with free two-day shipping. Wait. If you continue reading, you'll find that there's another model for $189 instead of $139, and that's maybe the one you want. There's a third for $379. What's the difference? Let's take a look. For $139 or $189, you get a device with a 6-inch diagonal screen. It weighs about 9 ounces and includes native support for PDF documents. At the low end, you don't get free 3G wireless that's included with the $189 and the $379 models. For $379, you get a much larger screen, 9.7 inches diagonal, and a lot more weight, 19 ounces. Amazon has almost convinced me to buy a Kindle. Some books are available for free, a lot of them, in fact. More than 1.8 million books are free. They're out of copyright, pre-1923 books. All three devices hold an entire library. Kindle's storage lets you take up to, they say, 3,500 books with you. I'm always worried about those words, up to, in ad copy. But the main point is that you can carry a lot more books with you than you can read on any business trip or vacation. In fact, you can carry a lot more books with you than you could take on any business trip or vacation. All three models include Wi-Fi, and the top two models include free 3G wireless. To quote Amazon, no annual contracts, no monthly fees. Download books anytime, anywhere. At this point, I clicked the More Information button, and Amazon went on. Travel the globe and still get books in under 60 seconds. Kindle uses GSM technology, the most popular... Well, if you want the rest of the uh, advertising copy, you can check the Kindle website through Amazon, or I've got about a paragraph's worth of it on the TechBiter Worldwide website. You probably already know that e-books cost less than real physical books. That's because the publisher doesn't have to print, bind, and deliver a physical book. Amazon says that over 510,000 books are priced at $10 or less, and that includes 80 current New York Times bestsellers. Hmm. I'm beginning to think that I see a Kindle somewhere in my future. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. I'm Bill Blinn. Check out the website, www.techbiter.com. And if you like, send me an email from there. Thanks. Bye-bye.